What's up, everybody? We're live. Latino Free Minds podcast, episode number 17. And we have a, a cool guest with us today, uh, Peter Hernandez, candidate for Congress, District 18. How you doing, Peter? Good to see you, Danny. And, and uh, two Dannys. Yeah. Good to yeah. see you, Danny and Daniel. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me on. We figure we make it easy on everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. D&D. Yeah. D&D. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure having you on. We, we kind of wanted to talk to you about the, the last election and, and how that went uh, with, with you and District 18 and uh, your plans for the future and just kind of see what kind of maybe current events come up. But, um, but you did run in, in, in the last election, uh, 2022, right, against, uh, was it Lofgren, correct? Oh, Lofgren, yep. Um, how long has she been the, the congresswoman for 18 or that area? So uh, I believe it's a total of 16 years. Yeah. So she serves something like eight terms now. Oh, wow. Each yeah. term is two years. Okay. Okay. And uh, do you know if she stated anything about running again? I, she did. She actually made a, a well, it was kind of a, a little bit of a, um, basically a candidate considering someone that was considering to run in the district, which is uh, Sam Licardo. He's the, was a prior mayor of San Jose. And uh, he, he, you know, there was an article about it. I guess he reached out to Doe and told her he was considering the race. And she basically said, it's a free country, do your thing. But uh, she's not bowing out is basically what she said. She's nice. not going to step back. Okay. Uh, if they want to crowd the race with, with, uh, you know, liberal left, then that's, that's their choice. That's fine. Okay. Okay. As far as, uh, the last election cycle, like a summary, like how would you summarize it as far as the votes and all that? So it was, I, I received, uh, 50,000 votes. She received 99,000. Uh, so it was 100, 140,000 votes. The basic summary is, is it was actually a very weak turnout. We had a mm-hmm. 20% Latino turnout as an example, uh, mm-hmm. when it's, of the population or 40 percent of the voters is is the the registered voters is latino but we only had a 22 percent turnout so it was just a weak turnout as a midterm it was kind of it was expected to be higher you know i think a big part of the the um the issue was that people didn't know who i was so that that made it hard for them to decide and, and yes it is a heavy democrat district uh and and we had a 24 percent registration of, of republicans and obviously and not even not we didn't get 24% of those folks. Basically, we didn't get everybody showing up that, that was conservative showing up. And then the no party preference folks. But even aside from all the partisanship, it's a heavy Latino, uh, rural, middle class, you know, blue collar district. You know, it's a brand new district for those that don't know because of the census. We, they redistricted the, the, all the lines, and which means Congressional District 18 uh, basically shifted from pretty much South County, which is considered South of San Benito. Uh, and it actually now is into Santa Clara, which is the new portion of the district. That's where Zoe's from. She's from so- South San Jose. And what that really does is it pits the, you know, I would say the, the like I mentioned, the Latino rural ag blue collar worker, it pits them against San Jose, which is a lot more tech driven, higher income level, obviously higher, you know, it's it's just a, a different demographic, different sentiment, right? The the, mm-hmm. the Latino community in southern southern uh, portion of the district is a different 
you know, different sentiment than those in the North. So it really just, I think it splintered um, or it brought us into now lack of representation because really in order for us to unify these rural districts or the rural counties in the district, which is San Benito, Monterey and Santa Cruz, uh, really, you have to add up that unified base that basically all of those voters unify them to vote, to turn out and ultimately to vote their convictions, which I would I would argue is they would vote my way. I come mm-hmm. from sm- small town, uh, rural America. Right. I was, you know, I part of my story is and I'm grateful for it is my parents were field workers. They worked 30 years in the field. My dad was a butcher. Uh, my mom, that's you know, that was a, a hard, long life. but. Um, that really opened up an opportunity for us to be able to eventually buy a home. You know, she saved her money and then, uh, um, and yeah, we, we all live the American dream as far as my brothers, they all live a pretty decent life. Now they, they go to school and, and, uh, you know, earn, earn a decent income. And I became a small business owner. So, uh, so yeah. And, and that is this portion of the district is the conservative. I would say the, the Latino, the rural, the ag folks, that's, that's a, that's the, that is the base of this community, and it splinters it because now you have basically San Jose folks uh, uh, with one sentiment, and then Monterey and San Benito, Santa Cruz with a different. So, but because I come from Middle America, or I would say blue collar work, um, I think I could unify that base for sure because I am a local guy. I was a county supervisor, served four years as a county supervisor, so I know policy right as a legislator. And then I also know small business, right? And and I know what it means, what the impacts are of regulatory burdens on a, on our small business community, and then all the all the issues that we're dealing with with uh, crime, inflation, right? You know, most of us, and which is part of the passion. It's funny because when you invited me to come on, I definitely was really excited because I love what you guys are doing, educating the Latino community. I've I've said I've shared that big time because the only difference. Um, between, I would say, the representation and the Latino community is the fact that they don't understand the policies that are negatively impacting them. So it's my job to to in- encourage them and let them know you're part of, you're the voice in this community. I want you at the table so you can share with me your concerns and so that I could make sure that I represent you in Congress. Um, yeah, in Congressional District 18. You know, right now uh, that you were explaining that and talking about that, um, I was going to ask you what the biggest hurdles are, you know, to get your name out there and get the exposure. And uh, you kind of touched on it is it is the part of the education. And we've talked about the lack of education that they have uh, on this part of, you know, the, the politics side, legislatures and, you know, the, the whole process, yeah. um, how that works and how do you get to that point? And can can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, people when they get when they there's issues that they're dealing with, right? Whether it's um, you know crime, gas prices, there's different layers of regulatory burden, uh, uh, um, and and I would say the the decisions that are made at the local level and then the state and the federal level. So, you know, like the there's things like uh, AB one hundred nine, which basically released prisoners from the state prison system. Mm-hmm. Was a um, you know the the there's the the one uh, I'm trying to remember the Safe uh, Neighborhoods Act, which is a um, a state proposition that basically decriminalized a lot of these um, you know certain things like uh, you you can carry a certain amount of drugs on you and and get a basically a slap on the wrist. 
So there's all these things that are negatively impacting because all it, in general, all of these like decriminalization laws, it's lowering the threshold for people to get in trouble. That might sound like a good thing. It's obviously not good when all of a sudden now you get basically the criminal mindset to think, well, if I'm not going to get in trouble, then I can push the boundaries a little bit. I can break into your house and uh, I'm not going to get into serious trouble. Those are the things that are going to are starting to overwhelm. It's funny, a, a lot of these big cities and it's trickling into slowly into our small communities where the response times are getting longer and longer. So those yeah. are the things that I want the Latino community to understand that what is the mindset? Do you want accountability? Do you want do you want a safe community? Right? And obviously we want people to have a second chance if if they want to change their ways. That's a whole different story. But a lot of these bills were proposed under the guise of really of saying we actually want to supposedly have a, a uh, uh, recidivism prevention all that means is we're trying to prevent you from going back into jail but in reality because they're supposedly trying to open up the door for certain well certain programs that are going to try to uh, change your behaviors but in reality they do the opposite and they don't tell you that but here's the here's the kind of the dirty little secret is is they present it as something that it's not only not but they do it in a deceptive way because what it ends up doing is it saves money for the state. Because every time that they do these things, they now uh, they do less investment because a lot of these things like AB 109, for example, when they release the prisoners from state prison, they actually put the burden on the local probation department to manage those, those individuals that got released from the prisons. So who's going to be the, on the hook? For these these individuals that might reoffend, and if they do, it's going to be the local probation department managing them. It's going to be your local taxpayer dollars, and, yeah. and you know, and if if you have police, let's say, responding to situations that now these individuals are getting back into a criminal mindset, then guess what? Now they can't respond to your break in at your house, right? They can't respond to your issues because they're dealing with these other, you know, these other issues. There's only so many, so much resources that you can manage. So, bottom line is the state has handed these responsibilities to the local communities. They said, look, we don't want to deal with these burdens. We're going to save this money. And here you go, local communities. Now you deal with these issues. As a county supervisor, one of the things that I would, uh, I literally, as, so I was the chair of the board of supervisors. One of the things that I did to try to create transparency to the community was I actually put it on our agenda, uh, anything that was an unfunded mandate. There's literally, so an unfunded mandate is basically a, a bill you know, a law from the state that says you local county have to implement that law. And uh, by the way, we're not going to give you any money to support you in implementing that law. Hmm. That Again, we as a local county are limited in resources. So if they say, guess what, now I'm going to put more on your plate. All that does is it, it basically li it makes it harder for you to do your current job. And then it basically makes the burdens heavier moving forward into the future when it comes to addressing any brand new issues. It just, it, these are the things that if Latinos, the community understood, I know that they wouldn't vote the way that they do. There's no way they would. Yeah. The the names that they put on the bills, I've noticed uh, a pattern is that uh, they're very deceptive. Like you said, they make it sound like it's a good thing, but mm -hmm. they're actually, uh, they have a negative effect. And if people yep. really knew the what they were really doing and didn't have that deceptive name, um, they they wouldn't vote for them like like you said, and, right. mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where they go and open that pamphlet and they're you know just trying to make the right decision. They they read the bill 
the way that it reads, it sounds positive. So they go, you know what? This sounds like a good thing. I'm going to go ahead and vote for this one. Right. Yeah. Super deceptive. It, it should be illegal. Honestly, there should be honesty in the legislature to say we can't do this. If it's so let me ask you this. Um, I, I feel the same way that you do. It, 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 they shouldn't allow that. But how would you go about implementing something um, against that? I mean, when it comes to the, the, the only way that any of that's going to change is if you have more public exposure to these things, doing what you're doing, basically sharing the reality, right? I was talking about Prop 37. I looked it up really quick. It's called the Safe Neighborhood and Schools Act. Who's going to vote against safe neighborhoods? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. But it was the opposite of what that. So, but to your point, and then the other element is, is once you start to replace these legislators, you force transparency. If I was elected to the state legislature, as an example, I would say, don't insult the public. You know, when it comes to any of these bills, we need transparency elements to these bills. We set an expectation that whatever it does, we actually have to define what it's actually going to do. So it's, you know, and obviously most people will read, won't read the, the, the total language of the bill, but, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately there should be, you know, even under the, the description of the bill that actually clarifies what it's going to do at, as far as a consequence goes. So if it's saying that it's going to create safe neighborhoods, we have to, as a legislator, justify how is it going to make it safer, right? And and then, you know, so if they're saying, well, we're going to um, come up with programs that are going to, uh, um, you know, that are going to re, re uh, um, basically uh, come up with some kind of a changing of, of behavior, then uh, um, we need to basically show them what that means. And even outside of that, will there be accountability? There needs to be an expectation that these bills require accountability. How are the criminality, how is the criminality going to go down? And then also another thing is we need to, we need to be able to bring these bills back and actually bring testimony to these bills to make sure that has it had the impact that we said it was going to have, right? So when we bring it back, we, we, we have some public testimony. We bring in folks that are stakeholders from the communities that are dealing with the impacts of these bills. We can't let this go with just writing it and letting it go. We got it. Usually when it comes to the administration, and that's why it's, it's kind of, it's, I would say it's laziness from the legislature, but usually once they pass these bills and it gets handed off to your, your administrators and then the agencies, the exe- executive agencies that are, managing implementing these laws uh that's where the executive branch comes in the governor and then they walk away right you never hear about these things again besides when the news captures them because someone committed a crime or whatever and you know people have to connect the dots of how that crime was caused by a certain individual that probably should have been in jail and instead was released right mm-hmm. we got to tie mm-hmm. these incidences back to uh, the the let you know ultimately the laws that are that are allowing these things to happen. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a it's a valid point, right? It's trying to see what what actions are going to back the words in this legislation, right? Yeah. Uh, not just not just words, and it's also you know as as you were saying that I was thinking about how it's also you know the ads that get run, right? People have to spend a lot of money to get a lot of those ads run over and over, and you know, we all know in those ads, they don't give you the full text. They yeah. just kind of give you the what they think sounds nice, right? Or what might sound appealing to yeah. to the to the viewer. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of leads to, I guess, a, another another thing is um, you were endorsed by the GOP, right? In Correct. The- party. Yeah, the California Republican Party. Okay. How 
how would you say they're were they were they helpful? Could they have done more? Um, you know, I don't want you to bash them or anything. I don't want to, but just you know, just what was what was your your thoughts on on how everything went with them? It was pretty eye opening. I mean, um, yeah, there, there's they they have limited ability to support is what they told me, uh, and they they only prioritize certain districts that are uh, you know basically considerably higher chances of winning. Mm. that that um you know that just means to me is they're 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 really i need to figure out basically how to come up with the win without the state party um i mean obviously i appreciate their support but you know either we're moving forward and and gaining ground or we're standing still or we're going backwards technically if we're standing still we are going backwards Mm -hmm. so so when it comes to running a campaign i really can't get you know if their their endorsement all that does is put my name on, on their website and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily create a support system for it. You know, and there's certain things that they, they do have as far as access to things, but it's, it's pretty limited. So, and it isn't bashing them. It's just, there isn't much of a response because they, they only have so much resources and they're focusing it in a certain direction. All things considered, if you really want to take back California, um, yeah, there there really needs to be a stronger effort bottom up, right? Grassroots, yeah. and there there are organizations out there that are doing the heavy lift of the grassroots, right? The door knocking, the canvassing, the phone banking, um, and even the ballot harvesting, voter registration. We we got to one up the Democrat Party, right? We got to be. I mean, the reality is, is we got the winning message. We just have to work hard at engaging the Latino community and say, look, mm-hmm. my job is to let you know what I know, let, help you to understand what I understand. So that way, I don't even have to worry about convincing you because once I share with you the truth and the reality, you're going to make the decision for yourself that what we're doing is actually all we're doing is basically trying to represent uh, your understanding at that point because you're going to be educated enough to hold us accountable, to hold the legislators accountable, and ultimately to change course in California. Um, mm-hmm. Education is the number one, I think, key mm-hmm. not only win- winning over the Latino community, but it's also the key to st- restoring California. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I know there's a lot of strategy behind it. Um, my son was going to uh, a city college and he was taking a class and they were kind of teaching them how they redistrict areas, you know, for upcoming elections and whatnot. So it seems like there's a, um, for the Democratic side, there's a lot of strategy behind it. They They see that um, they need to change a demographic in a certain area and they start, you know, changing the district lines and whatnot. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. That, that's, if, just if I could add, because that's kind of what you had mentioned before, right, about how you have those rural areas, counties, but then they throw in Santa Clara and it like completely that's right. knocks it off. Because, I mean, I'm sure if it was just the rural counties last election, I'm pretty sure you win, yep. but they throw in that that you know curveball or whatever that oh we can't lose it completely let's right. let's get in that but yeah it's yeah, kind of so I and I think uh to your original question from the beginning about even my opponent when you're in office for a long time you have name recognition so it makes you lazier per se because mm-hmm. you're not going to work as hard as the brand new person who doesn't have the name ID but you're right Danny I mean when it comes down to getting people to to um you know, ultimately to increase, uh, you know, the turnout, you're going to have to really work hard at the rural areas, which don't have the population. 
you go to the big cities, that's where the density of the population is. Technically, if Zoe wins a majority of Santa Clara, it's game over. It's, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a little, a, you know, all she has to do is win a little bit of each small county. Um, so it, it makes it harder because that's where she's from and that's not where I'm from. But if they really think about what representation looks like when you have a rural county, right, that's, you know, it's not urban, it's not dealing with the big city issues, but it, it is dealing with resources uh, the, we don't have the same resources that a big city does, right? We have a harder time paving our roads than Santa Clara does. So there's certain things that puts us at at, at a, a difficulty. So, you know, it's it's puts her in a stronger position, but that is that is the issue is that we have to work that much harder in a rural area, not only to increase the, repre- the, the voter turnout, um, but ultimately to make sure that they're all obviously understanding the issues well enough so that they're voting the right way. So I, I, I have a smaller margin of error. She can screw up technically a little bit. I mean, I mean, you don't see her in San Benito County or Monterey County a lot. I mean, she popped in her head a little bit through the flooding of Pajaro Valley, which is funny, right? And this is, this is the kind of the, the crazy, uh, you know, just the, the reality how backwards not only California, but ultimately our political system is right now. They've been beating this drum of diversity, equity, inclusion for a long time, right? Saying, hey, we need to be diverse. We need to be equitable and include people. What that means is it's buzzwords for supposedly they're representing minorities, Latinos, mm-hmm. people that are underrepresented, right? And uh, um, and so that's why we, you know, it's kind of like they're, the, the, the minorities should be getting better, you know, low-income housing or they should be getting a certain resources or whatever, right, or better opportunities. Yeah economically but what end you know but the reality is is the flooding brought up to light that it's not that way because in Pajaro Valley which is the highest illegal immigrant uh, you know population right there in that region it's surrounded by very affluent counties Santa Cruz County Monterey County I mean those are between that and then Santa Clara going up north into San Francisco Bay that is like literally tourism haven right you've got tons of tourism there so there's a lot of money you go to these very, you know, very coastal areas. That's where a lot of people have their beach houses, right? Very wealthy people. My point mm-hmm. in is, my point is, is right along there, basically in the Pajaro region, it basically crosses Monterey County and Santa Cruz County is the uh, Pajaro River. And the Pajaro River is basically what feeds the agricultural area in our region. Um, that and the Salinas River, and, and it, you know, connects into the San Benito River. My point is, is when the flooding happened, these people lost their livelihoods. It's a small community, Pajaro. It was like 3,000 people that were basically displaced. You had like 500 people that became immediately homeless. And uh, they were all staying at the Santa Cruz fairgrounds. You know, there was FEMA slowly but surely responded with some resources. My point in mentioning all of that is, is um, basically they had weeks and weeks without water, without resources, right? And this is supposedly the, the community that is supposed to be getting represented by the Democrat mm-hmm. vote ASAP. And they weren't. But then you go mm-hmm. to the coast, none of the people along the coast were suffering. The flooding, not only did it, you know, not impact them as much, but it basically, those folks, you know, they didn't have to worry about issues with response time and stuff because it was the, the Pajaro Valley region. The people that, the, the poor middle, you know, low-income Latino, um, the immigrants, they were the ones that weren't getting any support and, and even um, Gavin Newsom had promised 
that he was going to get Joe Biden to basically sign on the emergency declaration so it would, it would speed up the response time. It took him probably, I think it was a couple of weeks before he finally signed the paperwork. You tell me what kind of, how urgent, how much urgency mm -hmm. do you have when you're waiting a couple of weeks and these people don't have food and water, right? And, and it's taking a long time for them to get their resources that they need. So it's just a big contradiction. You know, bottom line is, is if that was, if that was a rich area, I guarantee you they would be responding the next day. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the case. But you had folks like Jimmy Panetta. You had uh, even Alex Padilla showing up to that region, region basically beating the drum, saying we need to get support, all the while support was not, wasn't coming, and it took a while for it to get there. I was talking to the boots on the ground folks, and they were all saying the same thing. Where's the support? They weren't getting it. It took a long time for them to finally get it. So do you think that people are you know, slowly opening their eyes, especially with everything that's going on, not just locally, but yep. you know, across really? the nation? Yeah. Yep. Um, what's funny because there's a statement in the Declaration of Independence that says uh, men will suffer evils while evils are sufferable. Right. When once people are dealing with devastation in their lives, they don't have anywhere to turn their their emotions increase and they're basically they, they get a lot more animated. They had a meeting in the Pajaro region where the, the county supervisor of that district, Glenn Church, showed up and then another supervisor who actually lived, you know, came from that region was a Monterey County supervisor, also Luis Alejo. He used to be an ex-assembly member. He showed up. They both got shouted down. Uh, and Glenn Church, the brand new supervisor, walked out the back door because basically he couldn't take the anger from the public. See, what you just mentioned right now is that we see that at the higher levels. You know, we see them getting heckled. And, um, you know, almost like, you know, we talk about people are opening their eyes a little bit more. Actually, a lot more, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. Because you publicly see them like get heckled now, but I'm talking about the higher levels and what they don't teach us in school. And Daniel mentioned that we grew up in the uh, Santa Clara County area right there of Alam Rock and King. I don't know if you're familiar with that area, but that's, that's my district. Where, yeah. So we grew up there and I can tell you from personal experience, I'm, I was born in 78. So even going through um, elementary, middle school, high school, they didn't teach us any of this. They didn't teach us about the, you know, council, legislatures, or anything like that. So I, that's why I say that, you know, the Latinos are at a big disadvantage because how do you know what you don't know? Yep. Agreed. You know, yeah. How do we move the needle? Well, you know, uh, you know I mean, I, I think there needs to be requirements on public engagement, you know, and even when it comes down to their rights, there needs to be a stronger push for the Latino community to understand their rights, whether that's organic from folks like you guys or through a uh, policy level. I mean, I brought, so this is how passionate I am about the public being educated because the, the ultimately the document that gives us, technically you guys give us authority, but the, the, the document that actually sets the course for that is the constitution, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I brought forward a constitution day resolution and uh, it passed, thank God, uh, with our local county supervisors. My goal, which, you know, I ended up running for Congress, but my eventual goal, and I'm still going to push, you know, because I know the supervisors here locally anyways, is my goal is to, to get them to start to actually read this thing. Like when we're hearing about Article 1 and Article 2, the legislative branch, the judicial, the executive branch, the mm -hmm. authority, right? They, when when uh, the, the 
Latino community understands there's supposed to be separation of powers, due process. You're innocent before proven guilty. We're not a communist nation where you're guilty before proven innocent, right? Mm -hmm. Where we understand that our rights are inalienable, that are given by God, right? That, you know, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, right? That means these powers that we have are only ours because the people loaned them to us while we're in office and they technically reside in the, in the people themselves. Once they understand that they are the ultimate authority and that these things, you know, there's certain things which they don't even realize. There's certain rights in the in the Constitution that government is not supposed to touch ever. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the First Amendment freedom of association, of speech, of press, right, of petition your government for redress of grievances, even your Second Amendment rights. Those are natural law. Right. It says, uh, you know, that, that uh, the Declaration of Independence spells it out pretty well. Right, that that it's that are of na- of the laws of nature and nature's God. That means that it's the natural go- law. And I've done my. You're born with them. You're born with them, and no one can take them away. You're born mm-hmm. exactly, and uh, that was that was basically uh, uh, John Locke, two treatises of government, where basically Thomas Jefferson and the founders ultimately they gleaned off of that wisdom to say maybe there's certain rights that we should take off the table where government can't touch them. No matter what, government can never touch them, but. The only way people can be basically those rights can be stolen from them is if they're ignorant and they're ultimately at that point controlling them. Right. And that's why if we allow it. If you mm-hmm. allow it. But if we mm-hmm. start to speak about these things and educate the Latino community, then all of a sudden we literally just gave them power. Right. We just mm-hmm. empowered them. And at that point, we probably gave them a little bit of hope and encouragement so that they can go ahead and figure out what it means to use those rights to defend their themselves and ultimately all the things that matter to them, including their 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 family and the, their children. That was yeah. the thing that made me excited. Yeah, because I think I think uh, that's true. You know, there's a lot of people that might not understand, and then just think, "Oh, the the government they have the power, or oh, that that guy's in charge." You know what I mean? He's the congressman, he's the governor, he's whatever, and that goes locally and federally. People just yeah. think, "All right, the government they they have the power, so they're going to tell us what to do," or you know, or maybe some people are just uh, naive to it, right? They they hope that the, their government is doing everything in their best interest. And and like you said, we have all those rights that shouldn't be touched. But, you know, in recent history, you see, you know, government attacking those rights. You know, you uh-huh. I, I, I call it um, flexing your constitutional muscle, right? If you don't mm-hmm. use it, you'll mm-hmm. lose it, right? It's a muscle mm-hmm. that how to work that muscle. So, um, I, and I don't know if, if uh, Danny has shared with you my story, Daniel, about um, basically what happened during the lockdowns. Uh, April 28, 2020 is the day that I call the day that defined the course of my convictions. Basically, it was a really tough time for me. It was around the time of the lockdowns where we were being told that we needed to shut down in two weeks to slow the spread and, you know, wear your mask and stay home. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and all of us believed it. I was as one supervisor voted yes for it just for the two weeks. Within a month, I was like, yeah, this is not right. And I'm going to challenge this guy. So I did. I wrote an article. Basically, basically, I wrote down my my thoughts and I wasn't I'm not a scripted person, but I wrote them all down and I read them word for word, basically, to my public health officer, where I basically called him an unelected bureaucrat. I said, this is not the authority that you carry. I said, the power that, that basically you have are the ones that we give to you. We are the legislators for those that don't know where the power of the purse right the very purse strings when it comes to mm-hmm. the money that funds positions that's up to us the local board of supervisors which we are a local legislature 
So I just basically shared this reality and I said, look, I'm saying this because people are basically in public thinking that you are the ultimate authority public health officer when you're not. We are. We give you that that authority, right? Technically, the state law says that we need to have a public health officer. But we could say, you know what? We're not going to fund you. Work for free. I can guarantee you no one's going to work for free. And uh, so what, there was a check and balance there. That's part of the power of the Constitution. There's checks and balances. I exercised that, exercised that check and balance. And he didn't like what I had to say. He, he was silent after I finished my statement. And uh, basically two hours later, my public, my CAO, our county administrative officer, our executive, he texted me and he said, Peter, the public health officer quit. He didn't like what I had to say because I basically told awesome. my board, if you're not going to be transparent with us, if you're not going to basically do what we what, what we want you to do, then uh, I'm going to ask my board to fire you, to terminate your contract. And I know that that was, that was pretty um, – you know, radioactive, I guess you could say to the, to certain folks are like, I can't believe Peter said that, but honestly, I needed to challenge the air in the room because it was full of a lot of hot air with people that just had these big heads and little courage. So I did what I did. And, um, I, those comments, I pasted them into a local article and put them in our local newspaper basically. And I wanted the public to read what I wrote and fine, if you're going to attack me, then at least you're attacking me from the front end, because at least at that point, the public gets to see or read what I what I read, what I basically said to this public health officer, and everything's history from there. That's awesome, and we I appreciate. I know Daniel appreciates you doing that. We need more people like you doing that, representing well the Latino community. And it's it's one of those things where you flexed your your muscle right there, mm-hmm. you know, with the truth. Yeah. So. That's that's awesome. You know, the, and the funny thing about the truth is that it will always win. Amen. You know? But yeah, one of the things that we face is, um, you know, we're outnumbered. Uh, the balance is off and, you know, mm-hmm. we need more people to stand up and do what yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, and I was going to say, and, and yeah, because that's one thing that I, I think I noticed in the in the last election more is... You know, I saw more people kind of throwing the white flag mm. before, you know, without basically going going down without a fight. Like I, I saw that a lot more. And, you know, that that's just if it's already unbalanced and we start doing that, then then what's the, you know, a situation that's already seems hopeless yeah. gets, seems even worse. But, you know, like you guys are saying, it's like we need people to. Now we have to continue to fight, flex that muscle, um, you know, not give up because that's what they want. They want us to give up. They want us to be quiet and then just say, yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And, and then just let them run free. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I was just going to say I'm a God fearing man. And if anything, I could say that, that, you know, I prayed about even when I spoke up to this public health officer. Um, the biggest thing that, that I felt like that uh, God was showing me was that if we stay silent, there's an outcome for that, right? There's obviously, mm-hmm. you know, negative momentum. I would argue we're going backwards mm-hmm. because we're not we're not figuring out what's in front of us, the issues that are there, right? We don't even know how to move forward because we're just depending on, you know, these folks. It's, they're supposedly the professionals in the room to tell us what to do, and at that point, we be we lose our individuality because it's not us living our lives; it's them living it for us. Mm-hmm. But what happens when we challenge the process? And I'm not when I say challenge, I don't mean like, hey, just pick a fight for no reason, like. Try to figure out the issue, think about it, and question it with that thought in mind. Then all of a sudden you have people responding and saying, wait, 
maybe Peter has a point. You know, the most profound thing that I felt like that moment taught me, even though I didn't get support from the rest of the board when I did what I did, um, it still taught me a lot that the public was officially seeing a shift in the conversation where we were being told, like, while the masks always work, to now it was like, well, maybe there's a point where Peter is saying. Or, mm-hmm. you know, when, it, when we were told, like, hey, uh, you know, if we really want to protect the people, then we need to shut down this, uh, you know, shut down basically people's lives, tell them to stay home. And I mm-hmm. argued that uh, a good economy is good for public health, right? That, that if people can work, they can pay their bills. If they can pay their bills, they can pay their health insurance. If they can pay their health insurance, they can go to the doctor. They can get preventative care, right? Things that, that, that might prevent them from getting sick one day and, and God forbid die. Right. Those are the things that people need to be able to pay for. But if you shut down the economy now, all of a sudden their insurance isn't being paid. Now, all of a sudden they're mm-hmm. dependent on some other process to try to somehow cover for them. So bottom line is, is there's a consequence, a healthy consequence when you challenge, because then people start thinking about it and maybe start rationalizing. It. And before you know it, they're talking to their neighbor or they're talking to their local electeds. Right. They're starting to dialogue in the process. I think that's the elephant in the room is when people actually say, well, fine, I'm going to get people not liking me, but because I'm questioning it, not only am I going to understand better, but I'm going to be able to educate others. Before you know it, the dynamic changes where the smart people in the room become the people instead of these these elite folks. And then all of a sudden they take back their authority because they say, you know what, I've thought about this and you're wrong and I'm going to prove to you how you're wrong. right? Yeah. And, but that only happens when you have the courage to challenge this process and think about it. Well, and when you stand with the truth, going back to the truth, is that now that we have the uh, advantage of, you know, looking at things in retrospect, you know, the truth is coming out. You know, it's coming out that the masks are not effective and all kinds of different data is coming in. Right. So we went through how many years of um, the I'm going to call it a deception because, you know, the, the people that held the authority and, you know, the citizens that just sat back and listened to Mm -hmm. the professionals and the science were the ones that were affected. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, when, uh, it was the weirdest thing, Daniel, when I was talking to a public health officer in our meetings and I was debating with the guy about, um, natural immunity. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait, I'm not a doctor and I'm not proclaiming to be, but you're, you know, the way that they would do this, this uh, verbal gymnastics with their words, mm-hmm. right? Where they're trying to deceive the public. And then they're saying, oh yeah, uh, immunity is uh, a vaccine. And I'm like, wait, so are you telling me that history says that natural immunity never existed? So therefore yeah. now we have to believe that vaccines were the only things that ever gave us a level mm-hmm. of natural immunity that they really, it's not natural. It's, it's, it's bioengineered. Yeah, bioengineered. So, so when I'm born, where, where, so what if before I'm born, and somehow I have this, this thing that gets inserted into me, and that's what creates immunity? Like, this is just the weirdest conversation. So, anyways, I'm questioning the guy, and he's like, well, supervisor, and he would get into these very technical term, you know, terms and stuff, and just really deceptive. And, uh, and I said, well, all I know, and I'm not a doctor, is I've had natural immunity prior to you saying this. Um, my doctor used to tell me that when I would get sick, he wouldn't say, take a, take a vaccine. He would tell me, go home and let the fever 
basically work its you know work its course in this virus pass through your system. Mm-hmm. That's what I remember. Um, and yeah. so, anyways, I would just use history as an example. And really, we got to be willing to say, "I'm sorry, but you're wrong." And yeah. if you don't like it, and if people heckle you, you know, we got to get over. We got to get thick skin. I guess is my point. Is, is people. Well, the other thing that we have to realize is that we are the majority. I harp on this all the time. And there's an illusion uh, being put in front of us that we are the minority. But I firmly believe that we are the majority. It's just the people on the top that give us the illusion that we are the minority. And that's why they have strategies, you know, in zones, districts, and and whatnot. Um, The other thing, too, is I I just feel like... um, there's a lot more funds out there, you know, uh, working against us too. That's the big uh, issue with the balance of, you know, the the right and the left, or your conservatives and power here and whatnot. So, it, it 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 I don't know if you agree with me, but I I really do firmly believe that we are the the majority. We are a hundred percent the majority. I, I can't tell you how many times, Daniel, I've talked to people and they would tell me, Peter, I support you. Thank you so much for speaking up. Tons of people constantly thanking me, mm-hmm. constantly thanking me for, for standing up and stuff. And, and, but I found myself saying, I appreciate you, you being grateful. I want you to stand up. I do that for mm-hmm. you. I do that because I believe you are the solution, not me. I'm one person. The only, the, the only value that I bring is equal to the public that is basically right there with me. If I'm the minority in speaking up, right, not the majority in thinking this way, but the minority in speaking up, then they win. And that's how they have won. But yeah. when we start yeah. to speak up, I mean, there could be a whole segment on how things are shifting now, changing, because mm-hmm. the minority is starting to become the majority in certain issues, and they're changing the dynamics of that, that, that political climate. But we got to do it. In a in a respectful manner, we got to do it. In a, you know, I, I would argue is we got to beat them up with kindness, right? We got to say, look, we're going to figure this out. If it happens to be that you're basically doing things that are harming people, then yeah, when I get elected, if there's you know ultimately a committee that requires to hold you accountable, where we start to subpoena you and you end up in jail, then you know I'll still visit you from from those jail cell doors, right? But but I'm not going to regret doing anything to restore the, our our liberties and ultimately restore uh, sanity to our society. Yeah, I agree with you because we um, the last episode where we're talking about what was happening in Chicago and um, I was talking about how they want us to have a reaction and cause separation between um, different minorities and things of that nature. So if we react a certain way, maybe it's the reaction that they want us to have. And I agree with you. If we have the reaction that you just spoke about, we think pragmatically, we, you know, look at both sides and make the correct decision and respond with, for example, we can respond with, um, with our money, you know, what we purchase, what we don't purchase. And I mean, it's been done throughout history. Um, You don't have to um, have a violent reaction, you know, to something that may be happening. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's funny because it's uh, the revolutionary war, um, for the longest time, they, the intent was to do it in a in a in a pacified way, right? Where it's like, hey, we we don't want to go to battle with you guys. We want to do it the right way. And they won the war through a war, which we don't want to do. 
my point is, is, but it took a very practical perspective for them to say, is, how do we want to become a free nation that doesn't repeat this cycle again? And they went through all these different forms of government and bottom line, the constitutional republic, which I think is the most profound of all, is what they came down to. And, uh, and that's where, you know, Benjamin Franklin says, you know, they asked him, what, what kind of government do we have? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very intentional. It's very profound that if the public get engaged and do things right and do it through the process, it's game over. We take this thing back. And we do it in a way where it's, it's you know, basically very civil, right? It's not, it's not hostile, you know? You know, and, and that's going to take a lot of work, right? We got to be patient. I think, I think it's happening now. Um, look, you know, the... At a certain level, for example, in uh, COVID era, they were passing certain laws, okay? Um, they knew that they wouldn't hold up because it was, you know, against the Constitution. It wasn't constitutional. So they had to go through different layers of court before they got to the point where they said, it's unconstitutional, you can't do that. And we're barely getting to that point right now, you know? And they know exactly what they're doing. They say... They know that they can pass something along right now, and it's going to take a year or two years before it gets to that point where yeah. a Supreme Court says that it's not constitutional. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that some of those things that they do are intentional, and they know that at at some stage down the line, it's going to be deemed unconstitutional, but all of the damage has already been done. Right. And it's a culture shifter, right? How many people change their habits because of COVID? And all of a sudden, yeah. people are living a different way, and they're they're they're, you know, I mean, the the, the statement, the going statement was, uh, you know, we have a new norm, right, a new normal. Oh, yeah. They were trying to reprogram the mind of the individuals of our country, and um, the beauty of it is, is I think we're so organic of a nation and so profoundly uh, different than any other nation that it's not that easy to take us down, and uh, it, you know, and I think, like you said, you know, it is happening. There's a lot of sh there's shift happening right now. Um, so I'm, I'm excited and that's why I'm running again. And, you know, I really want, I mean, I think when it comes down to it is, is I, I'm passionate to, to get involved in educating the Latino community. I think they are, I think in California for sure. And if you think about the dynamic of all across this nation, you know, most people don't realize the value of California because they think it's so lost because it's so left or whatever. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is when things change in California, things change in the rest of the nation, right? Our policies mm -hmm. are going east. Um, so I think it's time for basically the rest of the country to invest in restoring California. Because uh, if we if we change California, the rest of the country gets better. Right? If we restore it, if we restore what it, what representation really looks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, you know we've talked about this before too. It's it's people. A lot of people I I feel are you know waking up, are opening their eyes. And if it wasn't because you know so much of hearing what these people in authority have to say. It's just their, their everyday experience, right? Um, you know, food's more expensive, gas is expensive, you know, all those things that affect someone's day to day have gotten worse. Right. And it's kind of like uh, what you guys were talking about earlier. Uh, when you use the, the fancy little slogans that sound nice. So you go, okay, I'm gonna vote for that. You know, you had Joe Biden say he's going to build back better. And it's like, well, nothing's gotten better since he's, been in office for the for the everyday person, right? And and you know, and I think that 
District 18, especially Santa Clara, where, where, where we, you know, we grew up in, they definitely need some, some help there, some change because, you know, when, when, when we go back there, cause we still have family there. When we go back there, it's like you drive through the city and it's just, you know, you want to turn around and like, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to be here. You know, it, it's, it's deteriorated so much. And, and I think that it does need better representation that does represent the people and wants the best interest of the people. That's, right. that's a, that's a problem. I think we have in, in politics, it's people put their, their, their party over the people. Right. Agreed. Yeah. It's a, it's a country club. I mean, the party system is a country club party system, you know, and I've, I've, I've offended some Republicans when I've said that I'm, I'm less about party and I'm more about the values that the party's supposed to represent. Right. right. There's a huge distinction between that. And it's funny because that is the politics of California. Just like with the, the union, I love teachers, but the teachers union leadership, it's two different, it's two different um, mindsets. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so, so when it comes to the establishment folks, you know, they're usually the, you know, I call them the cocktail Republicans and I've offended some folks when I say that um, they like to show up to the party and hang out and have the nice drinks and the, have the nice food. But then when it comes down to it, you'll never see them canvassing, door knocking, right. Getting out there in front of the public. And I don't want to be that person. I'm not, uh, you know, I grew up where my dad taught me to use my hands and, uh, and to, to be grateful for everything that I, that I have, which is, Honestly, my story, I would say, is not special in that sense, right? Most Latinos have lived that way, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I'm part of a culture that knows what hard work means. You know, mm-hmm. and I, you know, once they knew the power that they have, I mean, if, even a simple example, right? Most Latinos are very entrepreneurial. It's a small business community. Um, by default, that means, you know, if I pulled numbers from the SBA, Small Business Administration, basically, it shows that the strongest portion of our economy is always the small business economy because we're the ones that are aren't, we're constantly shifting and adapting to markets, right? Recessionary periods, we know how to buck them, right? Because we have to get creative to figure out how to how to be able to survive. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we learn to do with less. We become more efficient, you know? And, and so that puts us in a good position to always be constantly trying to push through all the issues, basically, of a tough economy. Um, I talked to SBA, I mean, I'm sorry, to NFIB, National Federation of Independent Businesses. They have their own lobbying mechanism. And they've said the same thing. They're like, you guys are it, Peter. If we don't have a small business economy, we don't have a really a good economy, right? It's, it starts mm-hmm. to tank, right? The, the, the corporate class and all these folks, they benefit. But over time, it takes time to build these big corporations. Small businesses are always adapting. They're creating new things, new innovations. So all that, all that being said is, is that is the Latino community, right? We are resilient. We work hard. We don't give up. We figure out a better way to do it. If we can't do it good today, we'll figure it out tomorrow. So that is why I think when it comes down to it, the small, the, the Latino community, the small business community, if we came up with opportunities for incentives to Latinos to start businesses, I can guarantee you we'd have a, a bunch of Latinos lining up to start a business tomorrow, right? So those are the kind of things that I think would be game changers in Congressional District 18. Then it becomes the the, um, the blue collar worker that takes ownership over this region instead of the corporate mindset. I think that becomes a new day for this district because now you have individuals that have a level of wealth independently, not dependent on, an, on a nine to five grind. Who doesn't want to direct the ship of their own life, right? Where you can take weekends off because you you have the means to do it, and you have a, a small business that you can start to direct delegate your responsibilities to, and and you can take the weekend off if you want to, right? That's kind of the American dream. I would say that's the dream of most 
you know, I would uh, most Latino uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. So those are the kind of things that I get passionate about because that will be make us not only a strong economy, but that I think will make a strong Latino culture more resilient than ever. Right. We just got to come up with policymakers. We got to have policymakers. I would argue like me that are going to fight. <laughs> for yeah, um, you're right. yeah. And we got to do our best to, you know, let, let people know that, you know, to vote their values and, and to not fall for, for those fancy words, those little nice slogans, because, you know, all it is, is a deception. That's right. You man. know, and, and we gotta, we gotta do everything we can, you know, as many people as possible, as many groups, organizations, whatever, you know, especially here in California, but you know, the, the entire country is, right. is waking up the, the Latino community to know that, all right, a lot of the things that are, promised to you for years haven't been you know completed haven't been done and and secondly is a lot of the things that they say it's just what you want to hear that's right and, and we got to get away from voting for what sounds nice that's right yeah mm -hmm. i mean one other point too that i think is pretty important is is um how do you become a perpetually dependent uh resident of of this district right congressional district 18 they need a perpetual cycle of dependency, right? That means they need to be able, they, they can't solve your problems technically because if they do, then you don't need them as much, right? They, they, they have this, this level of individual power that um, they can't control and that makes it hard for them. My point is, is once Latinos understood that a lot of these policies are scarcity policies, right? I call it scarcity because think about it. We're always in a perpetual drought, even if it rains. Why? For some reason, for some odd reason, we we have money even. I think I can't remember the, the, the proposition that passed. We were supposed to have uh, millions of dollars in, in water storage, mm -hmm. right? For mm -hmm. some reason, it still hasn't happened yet. We had $160 million set aside for a levy, uh, basically, the region, right? Jimmy Panetta set it aside. For some reason, it still hasn't happened yet, right? We're supposed to be doing this this uh, very low cost energy efficiency process with, and in California, they have these commu uh, community choice um, energy, which is basically local local governments creating a joint powers authority and basically starting to take over the transmission of, of uh, PG&E power. Um, guess what? And they're, they're pitching like, hey, we're going to come up with a mechanism. So you're paying cheap energy and you're going to get solar panels and the environment's going to be all beautiful and, and the sunshine's going to be brighter, right? Things are going to be so much better. We're going to use windmills and everything, right? And guess what? Our power keeps going up. Everything still keeps getting more expensive. Oh, yeah. now all of a sudden we're realizing, shoot, maybe windmills aren't so good of an idea because they're killing a bunch of birds, right? There's just all of these things that are creating a perpetual cycle of need you're, mm -hmm. and your bill keeps, PG&E bills keeps going up. My point is, is everything that they pitch fails and not only does it fail but it makes your life harder and mm -hmm. then by default all they keep saying is well maybe that's why we need to raise taxes on you maybe we need to add more gas tax onto your you know gas prices right we need to increase the cost we're going to go after those big those dirty oil companies that are just uh they're they're greedy and so they're charging you too much when in reality if you look at the breakdown of the gas bill a big part of that is cap and trade Cap and trade is basically they're saying we're going to tax you, take this money and reinvest that money into someone's brand new free solar panels that aren't free because they're taxpayer paid panels. But you don't know that. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're taking Robin Paul to pay Peter and they're lying to you in the middle of the process. And, mm -hmm. and it's worse. The situation is worse.
No, and the the worst part about it too is that then it doesn't work. We have rolling blackouts. We have more rolling blackouts. And we, Daniel and I, or Danny was and I were talk. Uh, we're listening to the debate with uh, Gavin Newsom last time around, and he was bragging about how much money he invested into each program and everything. And um, we were waiting <laughs> for the rebuttal for him to say all that money wasted and no results. And it's okay. and it's you know some anybody could sit down and say we're investing millions and millions of dollars and it sounds really good, but where are the results? And I think that's at the stage where we're um, we have to get is that there isn't any results. And when are we going to stop putting up with that? Bingo! Mm-hmm. You hit the nail on the head, Daniel. I mean. I've listened enough Gavin Newsom that I, I, I know what he does. He gets very technical and he preaches on the front end what he's doing. Program He remembers programs. He remembers the process. He remembers the money spent. He remembers basically the people that he's supposed to represent. But he never mentions, by the way, the results are these. These are the results. He never talks about the results. At that point, he would have to admit that they've been nothing but a waste of money and failure, right? How much has he invested in homelessness? And we have more homeless than ever, right? I mean, there's, there's no solution. They don't want solution. They, the, if they actually provided solutions, then by default, that would mean that they, they couldn't control you anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that, you know, that basically puts them in a tough position, right? They'd actually have to give you some of your power back, your, your rights back, and they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, Latinos knew that. I think, you know, they'd be up in arms. If they really understood that, they would be up in arms. So let me ask you this. Um, we talk about, you know, the failures that they have, and a lot of people ask, why would they, why would they lie to us? Why would, be, why would they be so deceptive? What, what is their motive behind it? And, and with the added comment that they're failing at the same time that they're doing this. Well, it, one, it makes it easier for them to stay in constant control, power, right? It's all about power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they want you to think, you know, basically, and they, they do spend money. But again, yeah, like you said, right? It's like, um, like what Ronald Reagan says, the more the planners fail, the more the planners plan, right? They're constantly mm-hmm. planning from their very failure, right? New program this, new program that. Um, but yeah, the, ultimately the deceptive part is 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 control regulatory burden re- allows them a, an opportunity for them to grow a government because they don't ever want to shrink back. Mm-hmm. If you, the only way that you would shrink back is if you don't need it, right? If if you mm-hmm. know, why would me as a like as an example as a private business owner, why would I spend something uh, on a new arm of my business that is not going to return its investment. I'm not going to do it. The only way I could do it uh, is basically is if I still have a need from the taxpayer money, right? Government wise, so government uh, growing. So it puts them in a position to have to shrink back. So they have to keep growing government. Government Mm -hmm. has to be more powerful. I mean, why does government, if you think about it, why does government have to replace private sector uh, uh, ingenuity? It can only do that. I mean, that's what it's doing with housing. Now you have nonprofits popping up that are handling low-income low housing, right? And it's all basically private sector dollars. Developers have to pay these these crazy assessments, environmental impact costs for mm-hmm. a bird. They're not even sure exists in that region, but they're just wanting to double check. So it's going to take five years. 
and all of these fees. And then they take that money and then they basically uh, supposedly reinvest in, in other properties. My point is, is it puts them in a position to now justify the existence of a growth of government because then they could take from mm-hmm. you to say, oh, you're right. It's not, you're right. A hundred percent. I agree with you, Daniel. This problem isn't being, isn't being solved. So we're going to come up with a new branch that is going to solve that problem. It's always looking into the future to solve today. And then when today isn't saved, we're going to look to the future again. So it puts them in a perpetual mm-hmm. position of power. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when does the, um, when does everything kind of kick in a high gear for the next election for you? We're actually starting within the next week already. Um, I'm already working. I mean, I've been working across the state um, already, and um, we're we're starting to do fundraisers, local fundraisers. I'm gonna I'm gonna be, um, you know, ultimately trying to uh, generate support. Right, that's why I'm traveling across this district in the next month or so to try to get my volunteers lined up again. So I really don't have any time to waste, Danny. I mean, I have to do it now. I mean, I have to play. The, the tedious work of the ground game, which requires a lot of conversations and we're doing things different. We're going to be ballot harvesting. We're going to, uh, we're going to be working on, um, you know, what I, basically without giving away too much of my strategy, um, yeah. <laughs> we're going to be working on a lot more personal engagement. Let's put it this way. Um, you know, and so that's going to, we, we, we definitely want to change the dynamic that because I had five months, I could only do air cover. Basically I did a lot of interviews and stuff. And, and I did do like canvassing, but we pretty much just dropped and left. We're mm-hmm. going to, our goal is to target and ultimately to talk to voters one-on-one. It, uh, um, high propensity, low propensity. We're going to be working hard to get to know these voters. We want them to know me. I'm, I'm not even going to try, try to talk their ear off. I just want them to know that I'm not only, I'm there to answer their questions, but ultimately for them to understand what my passion is as far as what it means to represent. I'm going to, my goal is just to talk about representation. Once they connect the dots that I, I mean what I say and I say what I mean as far as representation, I think uh, um, sky's the limit. We're going to win a lot of people over. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you kind of mentioned it right now, uh, ballot harvesting. I think that's something that, you know, that's the game now. And and we have to play it on our side. Or if not, if not we're going we're gonna to keep having these, you know, these real, how could you put it? sketchy nefarious untrustworthy type yep. elections and yep. and that's you know as a country we should have some of the most secure elections and people should be trusting it and i don't know, i think that's probably at an all-time low so we have yeah. to play that game yeah yeah and I'm, I'm i'm hoping to be able to to uh have good conversations with good folks like you guys uh you know the 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 organic you know kind of uh, um, I would say populist type media like you guys right where you're just talking to the people you're you're accessible right those mm-hmm. are the kind of things where in it's in it's unfiltered where it allows for honest candid conversations that aren't you know where the media tries to direct the narrative and basically control mm-hmm. the outcomes I mm-hmm. want want an honest conversation I, I want to debate Zoe Lofgren person to person right uh, local local legislator to federal legislator let's have a real conversation and See what it means to represent the gente, and have a mm-hmm. you know, and just uh, let's tell it like it is. Let's t- let's you know. I, I'd love to hear her answers on why the issues of our community aren't being solved, and she keeps promising them every year and never has a solution for them. That, besides, <laughs> hold on, it's coming. Hold on, it's coming. Yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. something that I don't know if it. I don't know what it should be, but it should. 
anybody that's running for office, I think it should be mandatory to debate live. Everyone in that district can tune in and watch. And it, it should be mandatory. It shouldn't be something where it's like, oh, I don't want to do it. I know I'm, I'm a pass. It's like, no, you have to, you have to debate. I, I feel like that that needs to be done. I, I was noticing that in a lot of the elections last last time around is people weren't debating, yep. and that I, that that shouldn't happen. You you need to speak up for what you think you know you believe or what you think you're gonna do, and and everyone should face to face, like you said, be doing yep. that. Meritocracy. I think if we had our political system based off of merit, where people that ran actually prove their worth, show that they're really ready to work hard mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, let, leave the honest conversations for the public to interpret them. I think the, you know, you'd have not only a more engaged and trusting public, right. The public would actually trust the process, but, uh, you would actually have accountable elected officials, which are going to be responsive at that point. Right. I, mm -hmm. I love the idea of being accountable. Uh, I just want my country to be better. You know, right. what's the point of, of me being in Congress, like Nancy Pelosi becoming a millionaire, it seems like in the 20 years that she served or however long, um, when our country is falling apart. Like, I can't believe, to me, I don't understand how you can have the, how you're, you can stomach any level of, of uh, you know, respect for yourself when your country is failing, even though you're doing fine as one individual. I have a, you know, I can't take any of that money with me. I believe in God and I believe there's a heaven and a hell. And I'd like to know that I can go to heaven because I, not so much because I earned it, but because I definitely knew that I wasn't trying to abuse the people that I was supposed to represent. Like mm -hmm. that, that's strong of a conviction for me. I have children that I, I need to look out for. I'm not going to be around forever. I want them to have an, a life, a future, and it's not mm -hmm. going to happen for our current system. Well, that just shows um, the difference between your morals and, you know, the other sides of morals, you know, mm -hmm. um, and beliefs. So, um, you guys were talking about it a little bit and that's how I came to uh, a point where I woke up, you know, you go through the school system and, uh, you're made to believe that you belong in this aisle. And I got to a point where, you know, coming from Mexican American background, first generation born here. And I started looking at, you know, what I believe, what my parents believe, what they taught me and everything was lining up on a, on a, the other side. And I get, someone asked me is, why are you, do you believe that you're a Democrat? And I started thinking about it and I was like, I, I don't have an answer. Everything falls on the other side. I don't, I don't know. And people have to come to that realization. They have to start stacking the chips um, and see where they fall yeah. and where you end up. And I think a lot of people are going to find out that they're actually fall on the other side. And we've <laughs> been brainwashed to think that, because we are minorities, we, because we are Latinos, that we belong on this side because this side is the, the side that takes care of, you know, uh, minorities and people in poverty. And yeah, that's yeah. not the reality. Yeah. Um, if they just knew the truth of, the, of history, you know, I mean, um, it was George Washington who said religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man um, claim the tribute of patriotism here to support these two pillars of human happiness, right? I had someone trying to tell me that our, our founding fathers didn't care about God, yet it's, yet it's on our money, you know, yet mm -hmm. we have in, in Philadelphia, the Liberty Bell has a scripture on it. Mm -hmm. Like there's too much evidence that this country respected God. I think if we get back to a place where we respect God, not only will we win the Latino community over, but we'll also get back to a place where we care about each other and start doing what's right for each other. 
and stop being so selfish in the way that we manage our political system. But I'd like to see someone replace me one day. I don't want to be in there for 15 years or 12 years. I, I want I want to serve like a tour of duty, a handful of years, and I want to get out because we need to hand this over to our kids. If they don't know what it means to manage a country and, you know, I become 80 or 90 year old, years old when I hand it off, then uh, we're not going to have a country. We're not, we can't mm -hmm. have 30 year establishment politicians. Mm -hmm. just can't, you know, I'd like to know that I can, I could basically retire out and just hand it off to my kids and, uh, and, and they start running the country because they're engaged and they understand the process. That's the country that I love to live in. Mm -hmm. no, yeah. I agree with that. Cool. Good stuff. Good stuff, Peter. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like forever. <laughs> <laughs> we probably could, uh, but no, it, it was great having you on. Um, you know, it, it, it shows people different perspective, right? Uh, a Latino as yourself in a in a very blue state. You know, dealing with a very blue county in your district. You know, you're yeah. still putting up a fight. Uh, you're not giving up, and and like you said changing the minds of, of Latinos or not so much changing the minds, just having them realize, okay, you know, like Danny was saying, you're more on, you're more on this side than this side. And you might not know it, but you know, here, here's, here's why, you know, we, we, you know maybe one day we got to hit the, go to the, the, the Pulga and Berryessa and just yeah, I'm ready. One, of those, one of those man on the street type of video things. I just like, let's go down the line. <laughs> I, just, I just go get my, 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 Cup of fruit with tapatio and lemon, and I'm good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I just want to give the Latino community hope. I mean, obviously, everybody. I'd be representing mm -hmm. everybody. But, I mean, I think we're such hardworking folks. Man, if we only had a chance, a, a small chance, to actually set the course of our own direction of our lives where we mm -hmm. didn't have these burdens on our, on our lives, man, we could really restore California. I really do believe this is that the California or the country can be restored easily by the immigrant class because we know what it's like to live in a third world country. I mean, Mexico mm -hmm. is a beautiful country, but it's still, there's a, you know, there's a lot of, of crookedness, right? There's corruption mm -hmm. there, there's things that shouldn't be happening, you know? Um, but there's definitely, you know, we glean off of other countries, you know, like, like Cuba and, and, and Venezuela and these nations that, yeah, I mean, once were, did it, they were well, but my point is, is, None of them have ever had a declaration of independence where God is respected or a constitution where the laws of the land preserve the individual rights of its citizenry, where it actually says the only power that we have are the power that's given to us and it belongs to the people. So really all we can do is represent. And outside of that, we have no power. Like what country says that? That makes us a unique country. Why? I think once Latinos understood that element, we'd be fighting to protect that. Yeah, uh, one thousand percent agree. Is that we? This is the only country with that constitution, a constitution like that, and people really don't understand and appreciate what it means. I mean, there's a lot of people that come from all over the world because of it, but mm -hmm. they don't know that it's because of the constitution that they come in here. And I think that's part of the education that we've been talking about. But you know, you, that comment that you made, uh, Daniel, uh, about. Uh, um, Berries and La Pulga, that's actually a great idea. I saw, I was driving through uh, Ripon. It's a rural area, but it's like a back road. And I saw a flag and it kind of threw me off because at first you read it and it say, uh, stay poor. So that, that caught my attention. <laughs> stay poor, but on the bottom, it said, vote Democrat. 
Mm. <laughs> I think what would really shake up people wow. um, and, and wake them up um, is pass out something like that, like a flyer over there um, and, and have them read that. And I think it would make them like pause and think about it and wake up a little bit. I don't know. It just kind of <laughs> uh, you saying that and me remembering, you know, I just recently drove through that house that had that flag. It, it, it really, uh, I thought it was very clever, you know, mm-hmm. I think people would yeah. you know, pause a little bit and think about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cool. If only, yeah, for sure. If only. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you guys and I really appreciate what you're doing. And I think it takes courage to start something like this with, and I love the idea of, yeah, of the, the trying to flip the switch on the deception that's happening to our community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super grateful for folks like you. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, it was it was like I said, it's great having you on, and hopefully, you know, as the this election and 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 the campaign starts going, we'll have you on again, and you know, we'll we'll keep having conversations. Cool. I'm ready. Let me know. <laughs> All right. Bless you guys. All right. We'll catch you next time then. All right. Take Thank care. You. Thank All right. All right. Bye bye. Yeah, that was cool. You know, he's he's a he's a, he's a very good guy. Uh, seems like you know, he's, he he wants what's best for his district, right? For the people. So, you know, I really I I got that vibe from him. For sure. Yeah, um, but that's someone that is an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinks pragmatically, um, and obviously, you know, has values of a good moral character um cares about the family um his neighbors community and and someone that actually does care you know that's a type of uh, approach that they have and i don't think we see that in in politics you know and what he's pursuing he's going into an arena where that doesn't exist and that's exactly what we need for and for him to be representing he happens to be latino so he's representing latinos that's awesome. Um, yeah. We need more people like him for sure. Yeah, and like we we're telling them, right? Like the an area that we know, you know, pretty well, and you know, district, you know, especially Santa Clara. It's, it's like I said earlier, we go there, and it's just, it just looks terrible. You know, homelessness everywhere. Uh, it just, you know, it's a sad thing to see. Like when you go back. Yeah. It's um, it can, it, it's a tell, you know. It, it it tells you that what they have been doing that for decades now isn't working, and uh, we need to, you know, wake up and uh, break out of that. Um, I don't even know what to call it. Um, that that sleep. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and realize that what they're doing isn't working, and mm-hmm. um. I I really sincerely don't understand um, when we're get, we're going to get to that point. I mean, I, we did talk about it. It's education and talking to the people mm-hmm. and making them realize that they really stand on the opposite side of where they were um, dis- deceived to believe. You know that they stand. Yeah, so. no, for sure, and and you know, definitely need more people with that kind of. Those kind of morals, that kind of attitude, you know, in our government. Um, And, you know, 
it's a long I think we said it before, right? It's gonna it's a long battle. But you mm-hmm. know, if we have the right mentality, the right drive, the right fight, you know, not just people running for office, but everybody else, you know, then we can flip it. Cause it does, you know, living in California does get a little not hopeless, but you you kinda like ah, you know. You know, but I think, um, you know, we talked about it, you know, being the majority and he did agree, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. you know, us being the, the majority here. So I feel like we're at the brink where we're, it could be turned. You know, we can, uh, a lot, there's mm-hmm. an impression, it's like we can voltear la tortilla, you know, we, <laughs> you know, we can, we can flip it and, it, yeah. and it's very doable. It's very positive. Um, you know, the way that things are going, I, I do feel the energy um, changing. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have to keep the momentum, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we, we can't just get, we can't get discouraged with everything that we see every day in the local news, national news, mm-hmm. you know, we yeah. gotta, um, we gotta look at the positive and, you know, he touched a, a little bit on it is that, when we react, we, 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 there's a certain type of reaction that we can have in a positive one, um, you know, an encouraging uh, mm-hmm. way. And on the long run, I, we're going to win it. You know, we can't be, you know, leaving California because yeah. things aren't well. We have to stay here and make California well. Mm-hmm. And that's what Peter's doing. He's not, I, I don't get the sense that he's going to be going anywhere out of state or anything <laughs> like that. Um, we didn't talk about that, but I highly doubt yeah. that he, what thought has even come to his mind. Yeah, because I mean that's that's what they would want, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly what they want us out of here, so they can completely have a takeover of California and do what they want to do with it, run it mm-hmm. to the ground. Um, so mm-hmm. no, I, I commend them. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's a good conversation with Peter. And like I said, hopefully we'll have him on again, I'm sure, through through his uh campaign. Mm-hmm. And you know, wh- however however we can help him with that, you know, I'll reach out to mm-hmm. him and then see what we can do from our end. But you know, hopefully we're able to have other people, especially from this state, you know, because we're here that are running for Congress and you know, able to talk to them and just kind of expose them more to people because you know, sometimes it does feel like, you know, they don't get the full support that there's, you know, they probably could be getting. And, you know, and it kind of, in a sense, sounded like, you know, well, if if they know they're not going to win that district and they're not going to try, which is yeah. an attitude that, you know, we have. We have a, it's a loser attitude, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And, uh, as Latinos, I mean, with. You know, we're known for being prideful and everything. I mean, we can't have that type of um, approach. No. You know, we're freaking winners, so yeah, you can the winner, so you know, we're gonna win. So yeah, yeah, you can't go down without a fight. You know, it, it's just it's in us. We're fighters, and and uh, you know, there's no there's no white flags over here. <laughs> but yeah, well, thanks to everyone uh, tuning in, and uh, we'll. See you on the next one.